before I go into my topic this morning, I have a question to ask to you this morning. How do you know that the mark of the beast is National Sunday Law? If you have to prove it from the Bible, how do you know that the mark of the beast is National Sunday Law? So the seal of the living God is Sabbath. And we know that the mark of the beast is a counterfeit. Therefore, only other, may I say, uh, the counterfeit can be is the Sunday observance. Is that what you're saying? Now, I want to make that more logical this morning. First of all, how do you know it's a counterfeit? Yes. Okay. The reason we know it's a counterfeit is because it's a mark of the beast. Which beast is this? The papacy. And we know that it's an antichrist. And the word antichrist means both against and instead of, or counterfeit. And when you look into Revelation chapter 13, you have the first beast and the second beast. And the first beast, do you remember? Something was upon the heads of the first beast. What was that? Names of blasphemy. And we know according to the according to biblical definition of blasphemy is when you forgive sin, right? When you claim that you are God. When you counterfeit God. Therefore, mark of the beast is a mark of a counterfeit God, so to speak, or Antichrist. So, is a counterfeit of what? The seal of the living God, because they both are placed in where? In the foreheads. What is a counterfeit? Right. If I, now who do you have on 20 pound note? Who? Queen Elizabeth. If I decide to produce some English pound counterfeit money, and 20 pound note. It's a good counterfeit if I put 
Princess Diana face on there? What's that? We sell souvenirs. Yeah, we sell souvenirs, right? <laughs> it would make money that way. But it would not be a good counterfeit, would it? No. Counterfeit is something that is almost the same, except one little tiny thing. Mark of the Beast is almost exactly the same as the seal of the living God. You see, the way that I'm trying to explain it to you, I believe it's the way that perhaps you should explain to the non-Adventist. If you just simply say, Mark of the Beast is the National Sunday Law, then how are they supposed to accept that? So the key point is, it's a counterfeit. And counterfeit means almost everything is the same except one thing. So what are the characteristics of the Sabbath that we know. Okay, speaks of Okay, creator, okay? Anything else? Okay, you're talking about a seal, the you mean heaven and earth. But uh, but mm, is a day of rest? Okay, rest is a holy day. It's a no working day. Are you with me? And it's a what? Seventh day. And it's a day of worship. Now, so you have, and then in the Old Testament time, if he breaks the Sabbath, what happened to you? There's a death decree, right? You have to pay penalty. So, Sabbath has these characteristics. Rest, holy day, worship day, seventh day, no working day, and there's death decree or death penalty. So these are the characteristics of Sabbath. But which one carries on to the mark of the beast and which one does not? All except one, right? Well, which one does not carry? Why do you choose that seventh day? Why do you, I mean, people say, that's your, that's your choice. How do you know the mark of the beast does not carry the seventh day and, and everything else? No, before you say the first day, before you even mention Sunday, you see, you have to think the way people think. That's exactly right. You see, when you look at Holy day, rest day, worship day, uh, no working day, death penalty. Only one thing pinpoints the characteristics of the Creator. Which one is that? It's the seventh day. Why? He created all things in six days and He rested on the seventh day. That's why 
only the seventh day, that characteristics of the Sabbath cannot carry over to the mark of the beast. Why? In Psalms, perhaps you know this text already. Psalms 96. And verse 5. For all the gods of the nations are what? Idol, idol, sorry. Idols are made by whom? Man. man. They are created by man. But the Bible says, but the Lord, what's the next word? Made heavens. So here the, here the Bible distinguishes between true God and false God. What's the point? What? True God is what? Who is he? He's a creator. False gods are idols. Or they're created. Therefore, Mark of the Beast is an idol. And, and how can Mark of the Beast carry the sign of creation and still claim that it's God? It doesesn't make sense. So Mark of the Beast has everything. Rest day, holy day, no working day. Um, it's a worship day, but not the seventh day. Because that belongs only to God, not to any other power. So, you ask the audience or the person that you're giving Bible study, Mrs. Joan, do you know any other day man might regard that day as a holy day, rest day, worship day, and no working day? And people will naturally will say what? Sunday. You see, when you give a Bible study, you have to take them from point by point. You can't just jump to conclusions and let, you know, expect them to believe you. So by giving a very detailed Bible study, you can help the people to see the events are taking place right now. Yes? How would you explain to them seventh and first day? Oh, very easy. I mean, that's very simple. Um, you simply say, say this. You ask them, according to the Bible, which day did Jesus resurrect? Which day was that? The Bible does not use Sunday. And everyone knows the Bible says the first day of the week, right? And you say, Mrs. Joan, what day is that in our calendar? She got to say what? Sunday. She'll have to say Sunday because the church is saved. That's why. That's why. Yes. Fine. I'm trying to ask people, but what is the first day of the week? And everybody comes up with the same thing on Monday. Okay. The question is, 
the question is that today's calendar, the first day of the week is Monday. That's fine. That's fine. That's what they say today. But we go by what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible says Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. And people know that that day is when? Sunday. That's the reason why people keep Sunday. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. They cannot... <laughs> they cannot escape from that. And you say, Mrs. Joan, what day did Jesus die? And she will say, what day? Friday. And we call it the Good Friday, right? So Mrs. Joan, if first day of the week is Sunday, if you count the seventh day, which day is that? And, and do it with her. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and what? And she'll go, oh, oh, Saturday. You cannot get around it. And you can prove it clearly from the Bible. The best place is Luke. Luke. That's the best place. I mean, there are other you know, places you can go and explain that to the people. I think our little... Uh, little daughter likes to preach as well. <laughs> She's going to be a mighty preacher. Yeah, it's, see, they, you have to say this, Mrs. Jones, people might, might change the calendar today. And Monday might be the first day of the week today, but we must go by what the Bible says. Isn't that right, Mrs. Joan? Mrs. Joan, you want to follow man or the Bible? She have to say what? The Bible. So Luke chapter 23. And starting from verse 53. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the what? Preparation. And the Sabbath, what? Drawn. So that was day before what? Sabbath. But it's a day that is close to Sabbath. Because the Bible says, preparation and Sabbath drew on. It's coming very close. So we can figure that that's Friday afternoon. Are you with me? Because Sabbath begins Friday sundown. Preparation day. Oh, by the way, did anybody, did anyone like argue with you regarding Sabbath begins from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday? People don't usually argue. If they do, you simply say this to them. Originally, a day begins from sundown to sundown, right? And tell them, Mrs. Joan, today we practice that, not knowing. Mrs. Joan, when is Christmas Eve? When is Christmas Eve? 
what, what do you call it, Christmas evening. It should be the evening of 25, right? Not 24. But they call it 24 Christmas Eve. When is New Year's Eve? Oh, interesting, huh? So right there we practice it, but they, they don't recognize it. But anyhow. And the Bible says in verse 55, And the woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. Verse 56, And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the what? Sabbath day according to the what? Commandment. Now, who are these people? Gentiles? They're Jews. And what kind of Jews? Unbelieving Jews or believing Jews? Uh, were they uh, with Jesus for a long time or just a short time? Long time. If Jesus ever changed Saturday to Sunday, they should know about it, right? And they should say they didn't have to keep the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. But they did. They rested according to commandments after the death of Jesus. Therefore, there was no change. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, the very early in the morning, they came unto sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And you know, you can go from there. Right there, you have preparation day, Sabbath day, and the first day of the week. Do you know that there are only nine Bible texts on the first day of the week? One from the Old Testament, you know where? Genesis. And the rest of eight are from the New Testament. And Brother Howe Mayer, he already mentioned uh, just about all of them yesterday. And none of them says the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. So by the way, that's how you can show clearly. And I, I gave this argument, and it works all the time. Do you have any other questions? Sometimes uh, they can call it the eighth day because it comes after the seventh. Yes? Um, I've read the modern Roman Catechism and they use the article of the eighth day in what's appeared on Sunday as well as those first day texts. They talk about the eighth day and they call it a recreation, you know, uh, a sign of uh, creativity and so forth. Sure. So they use like what we would use for the Sabbath day for the eighth day. Sure, fine. Uh, they call the eighth day of the sign of recreation, sign of uh, new beginning. I can see that because, uh, but that doesn't mean we should keep that day. There's nowhere, nowhere in the Bible that says we should keep the eighth day. But I believe the eighth number eight means resurrection. Do you remember when God restart the world with Noah? How many people were in the ark? And Jesus was resurrected on the... Do you remember Revelation chapter 17? The beast was wounded, but he will be resurrected as the eighth beast. Number eight. And the new earth and new heaven will begin from eighth millennium. So number eight means recreation or resurrection. Yes. I, uh, I was going to 
Oh yeah, there. People say, yeah, we should keep Seventh Day Sabbath holy the Sunday. Yeah, it's just no, it's non-biblical uh, statement. Yes. Oh yes. That's right. That's right. They claim their authority by changing Saturday to Sunday. Yes. Okay, are we ready to study the Bible together? This morning I want to study the life of Peter. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the gatherings. Verse 2. This was a gathering. Gathering. Verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with a unclean... Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Mark. Jet lag is catching on me. Luke chapter 5. Luke, I was reading Mark, but that was wrong. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was, who is it? Simon's. And prayed him that he should thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and talked the people out of the ship. Who is Simon? Well, it was Peter, Simon. Now, do you remember the day when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God? And John and Andrew followed Jesus. And they're walking behind Jesus. Jesus turned around and says, Who do you seek? It says, And John and Andrew said, We won't be able to see you. And Jesus says, Come and see you remember that? Then, Andrew went to get his, get um, Peter, right? Now, from that time, and from, to this time, when Jesus was preaching by the lake, Peter was following Jesus for a while, but now, what Peter is doing? 
He's fishing. And from the story, we know that he was fishing all night, right? That means he was not with whom? I thought he began to follow Jesus from then. Why is it Peter was not with Jesus? Some reason go home and do some fishing? What do you think? You see, Peter, like others, he was waiting for the Messiah to come, to free them from the bondage of Roman. When John the Baptist came along from the wilderness, cry out, cry out prepare the way for the Lord, they all got excited. Maybe John the Baptist, he's the Messiah. So they flocked around him trying to see what this man will do. But John the Baptist said one day, Behold the Lamb of God. I'm not the one. So they, they got to know Jesus Christ. So they're hoping that Jesus Christ will someday will take the control and overthrow the Roman Empire and free them from the captivity. But instead... Their expectations were, I mean, were unfulfilled. Here Jesus preaching about meekness or being humble. They begin to say, how can this man be the leader? And then they heard John the Baptist was captured by Herod. So they're hoping that this Jesus who can perform miracles, go and free his partner, so to speak, his cousin, John the Baptist. And then maybe overthrow the Roman Empire. But guess what he did? Jesus, instead of helping John the Baptist, he went and hid himself. Seems like. So Peter and others didn't understand what was going on. How can this man be the leader? And then they heard the news. John, this, John the Baptist, his head was cut off. Then they all got scared. Oh my. If we follow John the Baptist and if we follow Jesus, our head will be cut off. We'll be, we, need to, we need to be watching out. So they... And Peter distanced himself from Jesus. And Peter cherished a bit of anger. And Peter was disappointed. He thought he can be part of this great movement. But he's scared now. So he said, ah, oh, forget this religious movement business. I'm going to go fishing. So he went out fishing. Guess what? Peter the fisherman caught nothing. So his religious leader failed him, so to speak. 
and his own occupation failed him. Now he has nothing. And he fished all night, caught nothing, and he, in the morning he came to the shore. And as he was coming, guess who he see? Jesus. Oh, just Jesus, preaching that humble, meek, soft message. Then Jesus comes and says, Hey, uh, Peter, can I use your uh, boat? <clears throat> okay, sir. Come right over. And there he was preaching from the ship. And I'm sure Peter, as he was washing the net, I preach all you want. I don't want my head to be cut off. Then after Jesus finished his sermon, Jesus said, in verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. When Peter heard this, I'm sure Peter thought, How foolish. You see, when you go fish, fishing needs to take place at night time. Because when you throw the net on the, during the daytime, the fish will see the net and they will just go boom, flee away. You don't fish on the daytime. That's not the best time of, of the day to fish. So Peter's like, Look, Jesus, I know you can preach, but I know how to fish. Don't tell me what to do. But I'm sure in his mind, same time, he had some respect. Okay, Lord, let's go. They went out. Verse 5, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have told all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net, what? Break. So if your net break, what happened? You are going to what? You're going to lose some fishes, right? But nevertheless, they drew a lot of fishes. When Peter saw that, you see, when Peter threw down that net, he threw down that net with the attitude of, how can it be without? Boom! Oh, a lot of fishes. Even the net broke. When Peter saw that, then he immediately realized Jesus is in control. I thought Jesus was not in control. He let his, his partner, John the Baptist, be hit. I, I thought I'm the next. But yet, if Jesus can control the fishes that I know, which I caught nothing last night, then Jesus has to be the master. Then Peter felt guilty for uh, cherishing doubt in his heart. Not believing Jesus Christ. You know, to become a Seventh-day Adventist, you must be committed to be poor. But I guarantee you will never starve. You will never run out your clothing. 
and I'm sure you would have a roof over your head. But sometimes to follow God means sacrifice or adventure. But God says, Peter, you follow me. You know what happened? Peter, John, all of you, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. What do they do? They let go of the net. If you're a fisherman, what would you say? I mean, if you're like business-minded fisherman, what would you say? Oh, Jesus, we can make some good business. You go out, you just go, go out with us to uh, you know, the lake, and you tell us where to, you know, throw the net, and we'll catch a lot of fish, and we'll make lots of money, and we do a lot of evangelistic crusade meeting, and we print books and things like that. Oh, we can do a lot of work. But Jesus said, uh-uh, I will make a fisher for man. Drop your net and come follow me. You know what they do? Dropped. Do you know there were other people that were depending upon Peter for their support? But even then, Peter dropped it. You know why? When Jesus said, I drop your net, come follow me, I'll make sure you, the people that are depending upon you, I'll take care of them. That's faith, isn't it? So from then, Peter, notice this. I, liked, I love this part. I like Peter. You know why I like Peter? I think sometimes I'm like Peter. <laughs> in the Bible, look with me in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at who? Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I am a what? Sinful man, O Lord. So at that point, Peter felt helpless. Peter felt Desperate. Peter felt weak. But it was at that time Peter was qualified to become followers of Christ. So you need to feel your helplessness. You need to feel your desperateness. You need to feel your weakness. So that you may grab the, the, the foot of Jesus, his body, and says. Lord, depart from me. I'm a weak, sinful man. But you know what Peter was doing in Desire of Ages? Peter was holding on to his legs. Can you imagine? Don't go and you're grabbing him. I mean, no, no. He no, said, go and grabbing him. That doesn't make sense, doesn't it? Go, I understand. Please depart from me. I am a wicked man. I recognize my, my sinfulness. But don't go. I need you. You see, Jesus needed that kind of spirit in Peter before Peter can become fishers of man. You see, many times we want to do God's work, but we don't feel our helplessness. And many times we do God's work, but we are filled with doubts and anxiety, worry, and self-sufficiency. And when we go and catch people, you know what's going to happen? Your net will break. And you go out with people, you're going to lose some people. Because the attitude, the spiritual condition that you have, is not there yet. So Peter learned that lesson. 
right then. But you know something? Peter, like me, I'm not like Peter, will forget easily. Again, Peter, after a few years of following Jesus, in the beginning he was humble. Oh Lord, who, who can, oh Lord, uh, uh, whom should I go? You're the Lord, you're the master, we follow you. But Peter began to build up this now spiritual pride. Remember Jesus said, this night all of you will forsake me. Remember that? And, and Peter said, watch this. Peter said, even all these disciples will for, uh, for, forsake you. In front of these people. Can you imagine Peter, his attitude, in front of other disciples standing right there. Peter said, Jesus, even these forsake you. I will not forsake you. Again, Peter developed self-sufficiency. And you know what Jesus said? Before what? Cockroach, what happened? You will deny me three times. Turn your Bibles with me to John. John chapter 18. Oh, by the way, Peter was kind of mad. That was he was ready to defend Jesus. He was ready to pull out his knife and cut somebody's ear off. He was that determined to protect Jesus. But because Peter did not recognize his weakness in a time of crisis, he denied the Lord. But do you ever imagine why Peter cut that person's ear off? That's pretty good aim, isn't it? Can you swing your knife and cut somebody's ear off? You know, he was aiming at the head, but he missed it. I think the angel went, cut the ear off, perform a small miracle for the soldiers, let them see that Jesus is indeed a Messiah. But there was Peter. Look with me. Peter... John 18, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did other disciples. When the Bible says, so did another disciple, that another disciple is John. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in, in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. Verse 16. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto the high, unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciple? He said, What? I am not. I am not. 
Can you imagine? That same night, Peter said, I will not deny you. I will not forsake you. But there he is. When someone says, I think you're one of the disciples of Jesus, he says, I am not. When you lie, do you remember the first time you ever lied? How was your, the, the, the heartbeat rate? And when you lie, when you commit a sin, there is a short period of dizziness or confusion, isn't it? There's a fear comes over to you, right? And when you, when you are guilty, are you able to look at people's eyeballs? What do you do? You go away from them, right? So here Peter, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not looking at her. And he walked away to the other side. Verse 18, And the servants of an officer stood there, who had made a what? Fire of what? Fire of what? Coals. For it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. You see, it was late in the morning, late in the night, early in the morning. It was really cold. And he was cold physically, cold mentally, and cold spiritually because he just denied the Lord. He wants to go and hide somewhere. And he found that fire. The Bible said, fire of what? Coal. And he was standing there and looking at the fire, warming himself. Do you remember when you were young and you got in trouble? Maybe in school? The teacher said, see me after the school. Come to my office. So you go to the teacher's office. And the teacher said, sit down. And the teacher began to give you the lecture. Do you look at her eyeballs? Like that? <laughs> no. You look down, right? And usually... All right. Usually, you look at an object and keep looking at the object. For example, you can look at teacher's desk, the corner. Or you can look at teacher's, um, how can I say, um, a stapler or something. Or you look at your own shoelace. Or you look at the calendar. But you don't look at her. Because you look at that thing so much, you remember it. So for example, you're looking at a calendar, and at the same time you feel guilty. You were caught in the action, and the teacher was giving you a lecture. And let's say that thing is over. And many days later, when you look at that calendar, that calendar will remind you of what? The wrong that you did in school, right? So here Peter, looking at the fire of coal, 
warming himself. And at that time, another people came and they asked the same question. Are you one of the disciples of Jesus? And he says, no, 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 I'm not. The other one came and said, I think you talk like one of those people. Then he, then he cursed, swear to, to disapprove that he's not one of the followers of Jesus. Because the followers of Jesus were known for pure language. So he went, he went that much to deny himself and deny Jesus. And when he denied Christ, and he looked, same time, the eyes of Jesus met the eyes of Peter. And Peter still discovered same tender, loving Then, one of the soldiers next to Jesus, maybe he was impatient, with hot temper, what are you standing here? What are you doing? And he punched him. And Peter witnessed the face of Jesus being wounded by this, the wicked soldier. And that just crushed him, Peter's heart. And he ran and ran and ran. Somehow, he found himself in the same spot where Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. And he wept and cried. There, Peter had his true conversion. He finally recognized that he cannot depend upon himself. And next time Peter goes away, and next time he put that coals of fire into his fireplace, that coals of fire reminds him something. What is that? That he denied Jesus three times. Every time that cock crew, what happens? That reminds him. Every morning then, Peter will be reminded that what? He is, he denied Jesus Christ, and that reminds him the weakness of Peter. Is how they cry here. Can you imagine Peter wake up in the morning and he began to pray and the cockroach? Oh yes, I deny the Lord. Every time he put the coals in the fireplace, oh yes, I deny the Lord. Keep reminding Peter of his guilt and sin, his weakness. But Peter learned a lesson. Now Peter began to de depend upon the Lord. Now Peter began to yield himself to God completely. Now Peter's a changed man. And now notice what happened. Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. One, John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called 
Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana, Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Jebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. So this is after the death of Jesus. This is after he was resurrected. Peter said to the other disciples, Hey, look, I'm going to go fishing. I don't know the reason why Peter went for fishing. <clears throat> Maybe he thought, let's just take a little vacation. We had a hard three and a half years of great controversy. Let's take a little break. Hey, guys, let's go for fishing. And others says, okay. You see, Peter was a leader. Whatever he does, they follow. They say unto him, we also go with you. They went forth, entered into a ship, Immediately, into the ship immediately, and that night they caught what? Nothing. Ellen White says, because they didn't catch any fish that night, they were just sitting around talking about the good old days. Oh, do you hey Peter, do you remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people? Yeah, that was incredible. My, I pulled out bread from my basket, but it just keep coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the day that when Jesus resurrected Lazarus? Yeah. What well, Lazarus up to these days? Well, he's still living. I think the Pharisees are trying to, the Sadducees are trying to kill him. Well, we've got to pray for Lazarus. They're having a nice conversation. The good old days. Looking at the stars. But what were they supposed to do? They're supposed to go do the. Catch man, right? They're supposed to go do evangelism. Well, maybe God understands their tiredness, so God let them kind of rest, trying to catch fish, but they, they didn't catch anything. But watch this. Verse 4. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, what? Was Jesus hungry? He was not. Because when Peter went up to see Jesus, he already had fish and bread, right? So he, he, Jesus did not need any bread or fish, did he? No. Then why did Jesus say, Children, have ye any meat? What does that mean? Did you catch any fish? Are you with me? And they say what? You see, spiritually speaking, Jesus was asking this question. Children, Peter, John, and my disciples, did you catch any man? What are you doing out there? And they say what? No, we didn't catch any man. <laughs> that was the question. Then Jesus said what? Jesus said, and he said unto them, Cast the net on the what? Right side of the ship, and he, he shall find. Why right side, not left? You see, right side is the side of God. Angel appeared on the right side before the Zacharias, uh, right? Pronouncing the birth of John Baptist. Uh, remember Jesus said, lamb on my right, goat, no, sheep on my right, and goat on my left. 
form was accepted. In other words, Jesus sat on the right hand of God. Remember? And remember uh, from the Desire of Ages, John sat on the right hand, and who sat on the left hand? Judas. So right side is the side of God. And when you read the Desire of Ages, Jesus was standing on the right side of the boat. So cast your net on the right side, meaning cast your net on the side of Jesus. Meaning, throw your talents, your energy, your time, your mind, your effort, all that you have on the side of God. If you throw it on, the, on your side, which is the left side, then you will not catch any man. If you live for yourself, if you work for yourself, if you have pleasures for yourself, you will not catch any man. But if you throw everything that you have for God, that I guarantee you will catch man. And the Bible says, look at this. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of what? Fishes. Look with me. Verse A, and the other disciples came in the little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And the Bible says, look, going down, verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, to full of great fishes, and 153, for all there were so many, yet was not the what? Net broken. Why net was not broken? It was on the right side, and now Peter threw that net with not the attitude of, I know what, I know everything. No. Peter threw that net with humility and trust and meekness, helplessness. That's why the net didn't break. So when you want to catch fish, you must have that kind of attitude. On top of that, look at this in verse 9. As soon as then, as they were come to the land, come to land, they saw a what? Fire of coal there, and fish lay thereon, and bread. Here, Peter was, he threw the net, he caught a lot of fishes, and he said, Wait a minute, this gotta be Jesus. And look, it is Jesus. So he jumped off the boat, he went to the land. He is very happy to see Jesus. And as soon as he got there, the first thing that he see, fire of what? Coal. And that reminds him something. What is that? <laughs> that he denied Jesus three times. So do you think Peter was able to look at the eyes of Jesus? He was looking at what? The coal. While Peter was looking at the coal, while Peter was remorsing once again his sin, his weakness, Jesus restored Peter right there where he had the problem in front of all the disciples. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, 
Lord, you know that I love you. But I don't want to say I love you more than these people. Are you with me? Right front of the... See, Peter made a mistake in front of the, the fire of coal. In the same spot, Peter, Jesus restored Peter. Isn't Jesus a wonderful man? How many times? Three times. Why? Because Peter denied three times. If you make mistake hundred times, Jesus is willing to give you hundred times more opportunity to be restored. Isn't he merciful? And right front of that, Peter was restored. Then Jesus said, if you really love me, go and feed my my sheep. <coughs> now, Peter, you are ready to work for me. Now, you are qualified. Go and work for me. Do you want to work for God? So, after this event, next time Peter sees the fire of coal, that will remind him two things. What is that? One, his denial. Two, his restoration. Isn't that a beautiful reminder? It shows two things. The weakness of Peter and the mercy of Jesus. And that fire now, before that fire burned his soul in a way to destroy his spiritual being, but now that fire is, is seasoned with the fire of God's love. And that fire is warming his spiritual life and his soul. On the day of Pentecost, God gave him one more time to Peter another fire. What was that? The tongue. Looks like what? Tongues of fire. And that fire now gave Peter, the power to preach. And he baptized what? 3,000 people. Ellen White says, the power that God gave on the day of Pentecost and was an example for the, the, the power that God would give us during the latter rain time. And the latter rain power would be 10 times greater. If Peter baptized 3,000 people, that means we will be able to be baptized. How many? 15. Three times what? Three times ten. What is that? 30,000 people. You know, people say today, Oh, the latter rain is falling upon us. Well, the Holy Spirit is working. I know that. But people say, the latter rain is falling upon us. We have 3,000 baptisms every day. That's not enough. Because 6,000 more babies are being born. Every day. So we, you see, this story of Peter is to show you what kind of experience you have to go through before you can receive the latter rain. You have to be totally empty, 
hopeless, totally depend upon God, not yourself, that you can work for God. Would you like that? You know, there's a story in China. Oh, by the way, stories regarding Englishmen who went to China. I think you know his name. Hudson Taylor. Oh, what a... I tell you, that book brought tears to my eyes. When I read that book, it's a wonderful book. This man, to prepare himself to, to, become, to, to become a missionary in China, and he heard that in China they, they don't have soft bed. They have a hard floor beds, you know. You know, I, I went to China a number of times, and literally they sleep on things like this. Bamboo mat, very hard. So, Hudson Taylor, he, he, took, he took off his door and gave himself the practice or the preparation. He, 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 he did that by sleeping on the door. And he began to eat rice every day and studying Chinese language. But anyhow, this man went to China. And he had his friend, Chinese friend. They're on the river, on a boat. One morning, Hudson Taylor, he heard a big splash. Boom! He went outside. And he saw water was just bubbling up. And immediately, the thought came to him, his friend is being drowned. His Chinese friend. And he doesn't know what to do. He has nothing to bring him up. And he, and he felt like he was not ready to just jump in and get him. But nearby him, there were fishermen. And he said to them, Hey, come! In Chinese language, lie, lie. That means come. Come, come. And they say, why? My friend is being drowned in water. I need you to come over here. Bring your nets. We can throw that net and bring him up. Come. And the fisherman says, How much? I don't have that much money, but just come. How much are you going to give us? I'll give all that I have. Please come. And reluctantly they came. But by the time they came, the net was useless. It was already too late. He died. Jesus is saying to us today, Come, bring your nets, all that you have, all your possessions, all your talents. Come and save my people. And you say to Jesus, how much are you going to pay me? Jesus, are you going to support my family? How about my children? 
And Jesus says, no, don't worry. I will give all that I have. Come. And we say, how much? If you delay that call, someday your money, your possession is useless. People are already dead in darkness. So when Jesus says, my children, did you catch any fish? What would you say to him? What are you going to say to Jesus when he asks that question to you? You know the reason why sometimes we don't catch men? Because we are still depending upon ourselves. If you empty yourself and depend upon God, I guarantee the Holy Spirit will fill your mind, body, and soul. And the Holy Spirit will use you and catch man for the kingdom of God. Do you want that? All gazely, this place, the people that come to this meeting for the spiritual revival, you are the people that needs to go and shake this country. May God help us. If you're not the one, God has to find other people. But I pray that you are the one. Amen. Our loving Heavenly Father, in many ways, we all are like Peter. We feel self-sufficiency and self-glory. But Father, even though we may learn so many truths, help us, O oh God, to feel the helplessness of our soul. That we may cling to the foot of cross, foot of Jesus, that we will not let go of you. Help us, O oh Lord, to empty ourselves, not worry about our future, but only thing that may consume our desire and our passion. May that be winning souls for Christ. Oh God, we have delayed so many years. Help us work, oh God, as though every minute is important to saving one soul. Oh God, revive us again. May the power and the love of Jesus Christ empower us in a mighty way that we might be thy servants of God. I thank thee so much for the brothers and sisters who are here this weekend. You know, O oh God, their abilities and their weaknesses and their talents. Please, God, use them as you trained and led 
the twelve disciples. Thank you, Father, that we can trust in Thee and not in ourselves. We ask in Jesus' name.